And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode 100. Yes, 100 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Friday, October 9th, 2015. So in the United States, 100 episodes is the penultimate for a TV series. The 100th episode is typically when any TV series, if it gets there, is now viable for syndication. This is when your favorite stars go from being yeoman actors on some obscure television show to a billionaire overnight. So yeah, the 100th episode tends to be a pretty special episode. Just for fun, I went back and looked at the series that had 100th episodes last year. So we had Hawaii Five-0. Yeah, believe it. Their 100th episode was last year, and it featured a drugged-up Steve McGarrett and his hallucinations in a world in which his father wasn't killed. And Danny, he was just another cop. The show Parenthood also had their 100th episode last year where Zeke had a heart attack and all the kids were running around dramatically and having marital problems and trying to get to him as quick as possible. Isn't that every episode of Parenthood? All right, and then going, yes, back to the episode of 2013, actually, but have to mention it because it's most surprisingly the show Rules of Engagement. Yeah, that show with David Spade actually made it to show 100. It was their last show, by the way, as the series was canceled, where everybody that was engaged, you guessed it, got married. So what to do for our 100th episode? Do we have a very special episode? Do we uh, have a wake-up-from-the-dream episode? Do we have an episode which somebody gets really sick and we kill off a main character? Do we have the wedding episode? Well, look no further because we won't disappoint here at PNR. Of course, we have the most spectacular, the most innovative, the most groundbreaking of 100th episodes planned for content marketing here. What we are doing, well, we'll get to that in just a minute. Before we get to all of that special celebration, our 100th, the Gray Nurse, for our Aussie friends, the Ciento, the Yaku, the Bai, the Hordenthal, our Stowe, our Cardinal Century, C. Hundi, our centennial episode, I have to welcome in my co-host, my friend. And my colleague, and the rolling in the Benjamins of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? Happy 100. Uh, I got 99 problems, but this show ain't one. <laughs> there we go. I love that. Congratulations, my friend. We made Congratulations it. Congratulations to you. To 100. It feels like a birthday or something. like. It does feel special. It does feel... Well, I mean, here's the thing. Given our travel schedules and what we do for a living, the fact that we have not missed one episode in 100 weeks, I mean, come on. That's pretty That's pretty remarkable, I have to say. What? What is the 100th? You know, like the 25th is the silver, and then is it like... <laughs> I don't think platinum? anybody makes it to is 100 it? married years, but, you know... It, um, I, I, would, I would have to think it would be something very, very special. It's... Uh, it's it's probably it's it's beyond it's diamonds. Something isn't it? orange. Something orange. There we go. There it is. We are going something to invent it. Orange. For those people that are married longer than a hundred years, it's going to be this orange thing. The orange this orange orb. <laughs> orb of greatness. Anyway, so what's what do we have? In, so we, we're celebrating. We're going to do something special here. We what, what, are, what's the we're, plan? As I think? said, we're going to do something innovative, um, which is truly remarkable for us. Instead of basically finding news items and talking about it. We're going to talk about what we want to talk about, and we found some news items to match. I know. Innovative, right? Incredibly, mind-blowingly remarkable. So, yeah. So you and I traded some emails on this. We talked a little bit about it. We picked four topics um, that are really hot and heavy in content marketing. We went out and picked maybe – 
I would say some of them are favorite posts from the past year or so. Some of them are just posts that really cover this in a really uh, comprehensive way. Um, some of them are from us, obviously. And we pick these four topics. And so the, lo- the show notes will have the links to all these posts that we'll refer to. Um, but then we're going to just sort of take the discussion wherever it goes. And then... At the end, instead of doing rants and raves this, because I have a feeling we'll rant and rave quite a bit about this stuff, um, we're going to do some special thing regarding predictions um, uh, following uh, following our sponsor's announcement. So stay tuned for that, for the predictions piece of it at the end of the show. So this is a three-hour episode? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is what we're yeah, exactly. doing? This is your hundred-hour episode. This is, this is you and I Buckle having dinner in. And, and drinks and, and basically chatting <laughs> yeah. all night long about the state of put in your Yeah, put in your TV dinner, folks. Get your Salisbury steak and your tater tots on because this stuff is on. So apologies in advance. For how wacky this show's going to be. <laughs> exactly. Should be fun. That's going to be nice. It's going to be gonna great. Be, but let's do this. Let's do it. All right. Our first topic, less velocity, more quantity. So uh, really, this is the whole quality and quantity thing. This is something that we continue to hear about, talk about, see best practices on, see the listicles. There are innumerable articles about this, and we thought it would be a great topic for us to chat about a little bit. Um, so they're just to refer to some of the show posts on this, we've got Marcus Sheridan, sales lion, friend and family of the show, who thinks it's actually a false choice and put out a video really talking about how content quality versus quantity is definitely something that you don't have to choose between. And then there's, of course, the classic, classic Doug Kessler's crap, the single biggest threat to B2B content marketing, where he talks a lot about the onslaught of content and the quantity issue. And then I just put out a post um, earlier this year uh, about the 2015 state of enterprise content marketing, where I talked a lot about the sort of differences in content quality and quantity. So what do you think, Joe? What, what do you what What do you have to say about content quality? And and is this? I mean, is this even something we're still debating today, or is oh, this I, just? Sort of, you know? I think we're absolutely still debating it, and I think that the the quality side of the house has won with one caveat: it's consistency. So it's not just part of the whole quality equation more than just sheer velocity is making sure we do something consistently. So if we look at what brands have been doing over the past many moons, many years now, it's that we're publishing many different things in every conceivable channel that we think our customers are hanging out in. And now I think we're seeing more smart brands go to let's focus on particular channels that we think we have the best opportunity. We want to put investments in those areas. We're going to create really uh, compelling content to a very specific audience in those channels. And we're going to do it consistently, whether that's every Monday, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, mm-hmm. every Saturday, whatever the <laughs> consistency is. So like when you, when I, listen to and watched Marcus's video, you know, Marcus says the best uh, brands out there are actually doing a lot of as much quality content as they can do. But he really said the magic word on a consistent basis. It has nothing to do with the number of pieces that's out there. It's that you set the expectation of what Andrew Davis talks about is setting an appointment with your audience. And I think that's the key and really to the whole owned media platform type idea that brands, for whatever reason, for just maybe for the fact that because they can publish, they were publishing, and that's what was happening, and you had velocity run run amok all over the place, and you weren't seeing that quality content, I really do feel this movement. And just as a proof point, so I was in New York 
uh, for the one spot uh, event that uh, I I moderated a consumer panel, which was super fun, but totally beside the point. But before I was up there doing my moderation, the VP of content for Johnson and Johnson was up speaking, and she said. One of her real core goals is to do exactly what we're saying, is to get away from all this content and all these different platforms and to really focus on quality, consistent content. And that's where they're putting their attention. So, I mean, do you agree with that? Do you see that happening? Do you think we're not there yet? I don't think we're there yet. No, the I guess the, the, the only thing I would differ on you with here is that from the lens I look through, it's still – there is still a tremendous pressure on most – Look, you know, when we go to these events or when we see the brands that are succeeding in this, I absolutely see that pendulum shifting, that movement shifting. And, you know, after I watched Marcus's video there, you know, and I love him to death and think he's just one of the smartest cats out on the planet. But but I disagree a little bit because this is we actually talked about this on the show where I actually revised this year. I revised my argument that when somebody would ask me at a conference and I would say, you know, I used to say, produce as much content as you can that you can be great at. And I actually revised that because I I don't think that's great advice. I think it's produce as little content right. that you can to produce the maximum amount. Because here's the thing. I, say, wait, wait, say that again. Say that again because this is so important. Produce the minimum amount of content with the maximum amount of impact. That's correct. But because cons- by the way, I've I've stolen that and people yeah, think it's- I people think I say that now. Right? <laughs> I, because that's mine, but actually it's yours. I, I actually say that it's yours whenever I can, but <laughs> but sometimes I don't always attribute it to you because I want people to think that I'm smart and I actually say that, but I'm just telling that's just you and I. I'm just not for everybody else. I noticed that your voice gets really, really quiet there. So the people on the airplane <laughs> listening are going, wait a minute, what's he saying? What's what? he saying? This, this, oh, he's, he's saying that it's his? Oh, I got it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Anyways, now you can go on. Yeah, but I no, love it's, that. It's, I love that. It's, well, thank you. It's, it's, but it's true. And I don't know that it necessarily disagrees with what Marcus is saying and what you're saying there because it's, it's, it is about consistency, you know, because what I find, and this is where I sort of get back to the, we're not quite there yet, is that in most marketing organizations, content marketing is set up to be the production house for a different kind of collateral that supports demand generation or campaign-based marketing. And so, Inherently in that model, what happens is is that it becomes kind of an on-demand vending machine of logo-less content. And so it just becomes this the, – the more we can produce, the more collateral we can produce, the more different kinds of collateral we can produce, it tends to drive in that way. And so it is when we sort of separate out this notion of content marketing as a different form of collateral and instead as a strategy that is built around the idea of building value for a consumer or our customer in a different way than our product or service does, that we can get into a different cadence of publishing, that we can actually give ourselves permission to get into a different cadence of publishing. Because so often in marketing now, the the the, the only requisite for something getting published out to our website is that it's finished. You know, it's, we're done, so it has to go out now. And so this is where we get into this, you know, big tsunamis of waves of content coming out and then valleys where we don't produce anything. And that's really, I think, what's at the heart of what you're talking about with Andrew's set an appointment, right? Dependable, consistent, a cadence that the customer wants to get it. 
I've, I've taken to saying this. One of the things that I've taken to saying most recently about this is, you know, I constantly get the question of, well, should we gate or not gate content? And then my answer to that is, if you're wondering whether you should gate or ungate content, you don't have a content marketing strategy. You have a collateral strategy that you're trying to determine oh, which pieces point. are most valuable. It's a great point. Absolutely. And so my answer to you is put your content out for free. And those that register after consuming it are the ones you want. That's building a content marketing strategy. If you can put your content out for free and it's so great that they want to register after they've read it, now you've got a content marketing strategy. That's the real – because what they're doing then is they're subscribing to the piece that they haven't got yet and they don't know what's coming yet. But you've created such anticipatory delight with that one piece of content that they want another. And that's when you have an engaged audience, an engaged subscriber. And so to me, that's the what we're looking toward. I think we're moving there, but I don't think we're there yet. No, I would agree we're not there. I think we are moving there. I think we're seeing the first steps of this happening. But even if you just refer to, you know, we just released uh, the Content Marketing Institute, Marketing Profs, B2B Benchmarks, and B2C yep. Benchmark Study. I love looking at this because what it tells us is that the – the content marketing as an approach idea is still in an immature phase because I think it, I don't know the exact number, some 30 some percent have a documented content marketing strategy. Right. So that means yep. 70, some, 60 to 70 some percent do not, which means when you don't, you're filling you're, and you're doing content marketing, you're filling buckets with lots of content and you have no idea what these buckets are supposed to do from a business objective standpoint. And what, what really scares me, and you and I have seen this firsthand, where let's say you go talk to somebody who's running the blog. They're the blog editor for whatever enterprise. And you say, what is the purpose of the blog? And they say, our purpose is to get one piece or three pieces of content oh, out every God, day and yes. to get as many shares as possible. And yes. I'm like, what is the business purpose? They don't know. Right. Which yeah. b- which goes to we lack a strategy, but also we lack communication, and we're not breaking down these silos to even get the business purpose, if there is one, to the blog editor, to the content creation team, to the technology team that's in- enabling this thing to happen. Well, it's exactly right. I mean, as marketing leaders, and, and I've talked to plenty of CMOs about this, I said, when you're setting goals for your marketing team that says you're going to produce – you know, six white papers per year, or you're going to produce 22 blog posts, and you're going to produce four infographics. When you're setting a strategy based on the quantity oh, and capacity yeah. of your team, you're not setting a strategy, you're setting a factory. And setting a factory is the worst way to think of this because what you're doing is you're putting out commoditized product, and content is not a commoditized product. It is something that has to differentiate you. And so by inherently by setting a if, – if one piece drives the business result you're doing, great. Produce one amazing piece that drives the business result. The thing that makes me the most sick, I think, is I remember when we first started to do uh, roadshows, content marketing roadshows and whatnot, we had multiple sessions that said – create your own content marketing factory and it makes me ill today because that because really yeah. that's what it was about is well, about you know, how do I you mean, get as much content out there as possible and i'm like man we were just we were talking the wrong things at that time but this there is, is there, there is ago. now i i i can i i because i hear it ringing in my head from some of the folks that would would that would be out there evangelizing inbound and some of those things that talk about Getting a lot of content, especially in a in a business where there's not a lot known, or there's an approach that you're trying to take where there's it's a brand new, innovative approach, and you need to get this widely spread. 
quantity in that case can make all the all the you know all the uh, the matter in the world you know i think of what marcus did with with the with with river pools when he decided to go out and basically create the world's largest FAQ about pools and what they were doing and basically become a media resource for those people, it didn't exist out there. What he discovered was is that searching for that and understanding that didn't exist. And so immediately flooding the market with that kind of information is a viable strategy. But there are so few businesses out there where that is actually a viable strategy anymore that you just have to take a more considered approach, I think. Uh, did we kill that one enough? Do we feel? I think we we definitely killed that one. So, so overall, (laughs) so overall on this first topic, we, we, there is a trend toward less velocity, more quality, but we're just at the very beginning stages at best of this, correct? Exactly. I think we're we're moving in the right direction. The 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 what I hear a lot of is we want to move in this direction. In fact, I just had this conversation today with a prospective workshop client that wants me to come in and talk to their group about this, where they're saying we're trying to move in this direction of quality over quantity, but quite frankly, we're having a big challenge convincing sales, inside sales, and our demand generation teams that this is the right move. And that's what we really want to drive. And so the feeling is there, the gut instinct is there, the strategy in many cases is there, but the actual movement on the street hasn't quite happened yet. I wonder when. I wonder yeah. when it will happen. It's well, gonna... we'll talk about predictions Ooh. here in a few minutes. Yeah. Good thing. Good thing we're in the predictions episode. Absolutely. All right, Absolutely. All right. Moving on to our next topic. This is one we've talked about a lot this year um, in the episodes leading up to 100, which is content marketing M&A is on the rise. And so there has been a number of articles and a number of acquisitions, mergers, funding. There is a lot of money floating around right now in the content marketing space. And so the post we'll link to in the show notes are, one, this post from Kapost, which actually came out at the end of last year, which talked about the 2014 biggest acquisitions in content marketing. Really good post. Um, Also, this article that we actually talked about on the show um, from CMO.com earlier this year, uh, really identifying the that content is moving to the middle and how much of the budget as well as venture money and investment was going into the space. And then probably my favorite post that covered this topic um, all year, we talked about it on this show a couple of shows ago, which was this uh, article from NewsCred that was, you just see the work that went into this, the amount of research that went into this and was titled, How Much Investment Industry Money Is In Content Marketing Technology Today? And it's just a great overview of what's going on from an investment perspective and still bookmarked in my in my browser. So so what say you, Joe? Is this uh, what do we think about M&A activity and where it is and where it's going? Well, I think first let's discover the easy one, and that's just in the technology space. And it will continue to strengthen uh, even into 2016 and beyond. It seems like more and more. I mean, there's so many content marketing technologies there that their goal of a lot of these startups are to get purchased. Uh, there are way too many of them out there as well. So we're either going to see them die off or consolidate. So that, I think that's the easy one to see. The one that I want to talk about is where I really believe that brands are going to start purchasing uh, other media companies, other technology companies themselves, other agencies. And the reason why we're seeing a lot of this is, one, uh, money's cheap right now. Yeah. So, so we know that. Two, there's plenty in the coffers. These brands have a lot of cash. I mean, I've used this. This is, a, you know, you've heard me use this stat all the time. So what Apple has, what, $185 billion in cash. 
just sitting there. They could buy the New York Times 60 times over if they wanted yeah, to right now right. and still have plenty to dominate the world <clears throat> yep. and launch the next iPhone 7F or whatever they do. So <laughs> so that that's, that's there. And then the last thing is maybe the most important reason why we're going to see brands start purchasing media sites, blogger sites, influ- uh, influencer sites is because brands are extremely impatient. And they don't want to wait for the time that it takes to launch a real content brand because it does take time. It takes time to build a loyal relationship with your audience, and it takes a focus on a specific audience. They're simply not going to want to spend the kind of time to build that relationship. They're going to speed up the process. They're going to start looking at, okay, here's my audience. They're going to start putting in there doing this because we know we've worked with some companies that do this. They list, here's the the different media sites and the blogging sites where our customers are at in this particular uh, scenario. Are we going to partner with this company? Are we going to buy this company? Are we going to do nothing with this company? And they're actually, we're actually seeing these exercises happen and it's only a matter of time before. I mean, we've seen small ones happen. We talk about the HubSpot one often. We talk about Adorama buying JPEG Magazine often. We talk about, uh, you know, L'Oreal buying makeup.com. Uh, we talked about the Thrillist Jack Threads thing for a while. I mean, right. those things yeah. are all publicized, but I think we're going to start seeing on a monthly basis big brand, I think big media brands, well-known media brands that are going to start getting bought by big brands that sell products and services. And it's, it's got to happen this year. There's just too many things going in that direction and too many things that I'm hearing that you're hearing. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. Well, two sides of that coin, right? Which is the really interesting, I mean, you mentioned the, the, you know, it, it is amazing to me. And this obviously, there is a certain strata of company that can afford to do this and, and you know, certain companies that we talk to that just quite simply don't have the cash to be able to do this. But the companies that we talk to that actually do have the cash and, and quite frankly, it might even be less expensive for them to do that kind of acquisition versus building a team and building it organically. And I totally agree with you, by the way, on the no patience thing. When I mention this idea of well, why don't you just buy one of the existing publications and have an instant audience? The the aha moment that goes off in their eyes is out, is really palpable. I mean, it's you know you you they never you considered go, it, right? They never even thought about it, right? I mean, and 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 this gets to the real point, which is from building it to because it it's an instant it's an instant acknowledgement that it's different than campaign based marketing, right? When you go to them and you say I want you to acquire or I suggest that you might acquire a publication, they instantly have to acknowledge, oh, that's a different business model. That's a different way of oh, getting so to a monetization of an audience than we had thought about and they go, "Oh, wait a minute." And that makes them start to think about well, what would we – and now, if you, they go, well, we want to build something, it's like, okay, great. But now we have a, a level set on what it is you're actually building. And that aha moment is really an interesting thing. The, 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 interesting, the other interesting thing to me is sort of the other side of that coin, which is you – know, and you and I traded some emails on this, which was the Thrillist – um, and uh, and Jack's thread sort of divorce, if you will. I don't know if divorce is the right word, but it's 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 basically separating out those strategies, which has been well covered over the last um, uh, a couple of weeks here. Um, which was a well worn example of an e commerce company and a publishing company coming together. And I often use them as sort of well, here's a 
publisher who bought an e-commerce company, and then you've got the e-commerce company in SurfStitch, which is an Australian company, buying the media company in the other. And we'll see how they do. They just purchased the two magazines for $14 million to try and align e-commerce with content marketing. And it was an interesting thing because I had originally learned about the Thrillist thing from um, and I know it's relatively old news, but I learned about it sort of after the fact from Brian Clark over at Copy Blogger, and he and I were talking. And he and I, I actually traded emails with him this week on this, and I said, "Hey, what do you think about this?" And he was like, "Yeah, I saw it, and it's you know, it's it's sort of a interesting thing. It's it it appears as though they couldn't execute on the strategy and therefore sort of abandon it." And I thought, "Yeah, that's interesting." But to me, this gets to something you and I were talking about. Was I think it was last week on last week's show, which is sometimes when you look at the choice between A and B, the answer has to be blue. And, you know, too many times we're going to see these. So I think the the risk here is that a brand acquires a publishing a publishing magazine or a publication and tries to turn it into a marketing department. That's right. Or the publishing department buys an e-commerce or a product company and tries to turn it themselves into a product company where neither of them are experts in anything. It's a new kind of approach altogether. It's neither e-commerce nor publishing. It's a combination of the two. And that's where the magic will happen is, is that we need to understand that it's not turning one into the other, which is so commonly the case in acquisitions, but it, it's a synthesis of those things into something new. And that's the real, that I think is where it will turn into a positive thing where it has been, in some cases, quite a negative thing for these acquisitions in the past. I love, first of all, that's going to be called the blue turtle strategy. <laughs> but I think, inside joke, folks. Um, I, I think that the the most amazing thing about what you said is the reaction that you get, that it is something different, which means yeah. that what most of the companies that we deal with are doing have nothing to do with building an own media platform. Right, because they're not. And then, second of all, I think that this is a real concern and a real issue is that a marketing department is not naturally set up to be on the mergers and acquisition side. That's a whole different area of a of a large enterprise, which yeah. I don't know how. I mean, I'm not. Uh, I haven't worked with that side of the house on large enterprise, but I got to assume that that would be something that wouldn't necessarily make sense to the powers that be. Because if the marketing people don't get it, I don't think the chief financial officer is going to naturally well get no it. it's a, this is the cl- i mean i've had this conversation right around a big large table with very senior people and big companies and and this comes up and quite literally i was in one meeting where the financial it was a guy who handled it was a coo and cfo of the company he quite literally pushed his chair away from the table sort of folded up his notebook and said this is not the business we're in we are not in a media company we are a fill in the blank company of what they did and I, what I said was to him, I said, you're right. I don't, I'm not suggesting that you change your business, but I'm suggesting that you have to reformulate what your marketing strategy is in that business. And becoming a media operation is one aspect of that. Now, how big a bet you want to make on that is entirely up to you. And if you want to build or buy it is entirely up to you. But disregard the evolution of marketing into this area at your own peril. 
I'm not suggesting that you change your business model to stop being in the X business and go into being a media company, but I am suggesting that marketing is evolving in this way and that if you don't evolve your marketing and sales strategy to at least include this, well then you're, you know, the failure is your own at that point. What did he say? He said, did he say we're not in the transportation business? We're in the railroad business? Yes, ostensibly. (laughs) I mean, yeah. I mean, ostensibly, that's what he said. Now I'm... Now, he had a point, which is how much of our resources do we actually put into this, you know, and this gets to the quantity versus quality discussion, really, which is how much of this, and this is one of the reasons I've sort of suggested that creating as little content with as high impact as you can is really the strategy here, because we need to understand that content marketing isn't the only thing we're going to be doing. You know, we we still do need to do campaign-oriented marketing, sales enablement, customer service. We need to do all these other things that are part of our jobs as we integrate a content marketing approach. Now, for some businesses, content marketing will be holistically evolutionary to what the entire thing that you're doing in marketing is. But it will also, in some cases, just be a very small piece of what you're doing to improve one particular process. So... The business decision is one to make in terms of how big a piece it's going to be, but whether or not you make it is, is, is to me sort of, you know, as I've said too cutely, it's a bumper sticker or a tweetable moment, but basically, I, you know, when I've said that not every company in the future will have a content marketing approach, but every successful company will, and how big it will be is independent of the business. Yeah, that, that was in the documentary, I think story of content you said that it was it was um, indeed the one thing that i will disagree with you on okay is that awesome i'm i have to disagree with something is that i don't think that a lot of small companies understand that they can do this as well oh i well i'm because, not well I, and you, you won't I'm get a lot say, of passionate you yeah I'm, well yeah, i'm, I'm, I'm just saying there. that a lot of the, so so and why is that so there are a lot of very small deals that are possible why is okay. and i'm talking about under six figures so under six-figure deals that are possible that any small business of any size, let's say $5 million or more in revenue, could afford to do. Now, the one thing that I would say is, well, why is that? It's because there are so many blogs out there and so many niche markets that are really good at creating a uh, valuable subscriber base over time. They understand how to build this audience, but they aren't very good at monetizing it. You're you're absolutely right. I'll, I'll, I'll totally acquiesce to your genius. You're not here. supposed to agree so. with me. You're supposed to say... <laughs> But You're wrong. No, it's totally right. No, no, no. Here's the thing. I've because I because as soon as you said that, I went. Oh, I have the perfect example for this, which is a, a a small software company that what they did was they went out and hired this very influential blogger, and it was basically the acquisition of quote unquote his company, but it was really the acquisition of this blogger who was really well regarded in the industry. And they just turned him into an asset. They just turned his blog and his personality and his ability to write and create engagement into into their own, you know. I mean, this is ostensibly what Rackspace did by hiring Robert Scoble and what they're doing with Robert Scoble. I have no idea these days, but this is, I mean, it basically it's that idea. Well, so yes, ESPN, a small company can absolutely do this. ESPN did the same thing with Nate Silver in 538. Yeah, exactly. It's the same exact thing. Yeah, um, exactly. So it's a great point. It's a great point. I can't believe you agreed with me. Uh, well, you know, it's right. it happens still once early. in a while. Once in a blue turtle. Well, this brings up the third topic for us, um, which is the dawn of the content brand. 
Um, and let's move this quickly because I think we've talked about um, a lot of this in, in what we just talked about. But basically, it's the summation of three blog posts, which really, how could we not include Andrew Davis on this? His interview here is one of the what we'll link to here where he talks about how content brands are trumping branded content um, with this whole thing. We'll also link to a brightinfo.com, which is this idea of content brands needing separate content sites. And we just talked about this, really. Um, and then the last will be a LinkedIn article, actually, on the 10 most influential brands on LinkedIn, many of which have deployed this sort of content brand strategy. And so I know this is one you're hot on, obviously, but um, but what's the state of it and where's it going? If you just look at the history of content marketing, here I come with my history program again. If you look at it and you look at the most successful uh, content marketing success stories, nearly everyone has launched a content brand. Look at American yep. Express and Open Forum. Look at Red Bull. They launched Red Bulletin. That was the first thing they launched. Look at Procter & Gamble. Launched Homemade Simple. Launched Being Girl. All content brands. I think there's something to that. That's how every media company launches. I mean, I grew, that's, I'm just so used to this. I grew up at Penton Media. Penton Media didn't have any products or services themselves. They had 120 different content brands. So if you think about that and you think about what that relationship between that content brand will be and the audience, it's a lot better usage of how you are going to be perceived and how you are going to position this than saying Marriott blog, right? which who cares? Nobody right. cares. And that's what, I mean, the majority of content out there is also, oh, they, we're creating content on our Facebook page, on our Twitter page. It's all around our brand. Nobody cares. <laughs> nobody, nobody. And I think we just can't get out of our own way to think, oh, we're going to start a blog and let's just put the blog on the website. Let's get the link. It'll help with the Google juice and it'll all be our, our thing will be at the top. And a great, actually a really great example of this. And they won a gazillion content marketing awards this year was Autodesk, what they did with Line Space Shape. Was yeah. it Line Space Shape or Line Shape Space? I can't think I of can't it. Remember. I can't remember. Yeah, I have to look it up now. Those three words in which order is still unknown. Let me see this. Hold it. Line Space... Is it shape? I don't know. I think it's line space shape. Anyways, I'm, I'm holding up the show here. Um, and they did a great job of this by not saying this is line shape space. Uh, they've really focused on creating that content brand. And I think one of the reasons why it's been super successful is because of that content brand and building that owned audience and that platform specifically focused on the audience instead of getting cluttered up with everything else on the corporate site, which you still need stuff to sell on your corporate site. Which is fine, but get it off into a place where you can build an audience. So I, I think that to, I think it's almost in the same area as our first conversation where I think you have brands that are starting to think about it, but most brands are not there yet. I, I think you're right. You're right. And I would – so here's the part of the show where I get to disagree with you okay. a little bit. Um, so I think it's a spectrum. I don't think it's a binary choice. I don't think you have to choose whether it's a – Either a you know the Marriott blog or company blog versus a uh, you know it, it versus a separate content brand that you have to market separately, position separately, and, and and all of that. I think both can work, and I think it's varying degrees of that. And at some point, it probably turns over. But I'll give you an example. Indium is a great example, right? Yeah. So Indium has created are maybe a content brand, but maybe it is actually just their 
corporate blog because it's you know they call it engineer to engineer and it's a number of blogs but they don't it's not branded separately it's on the main website it's really integrated into what they do and it's created incredible value and made them arguably the number one media property for their particular industry which is solder and the but it's not a separate content brand. They've integrated it sort of holistically into what they do as a business. It's it's you know it's very identifiable with Indium, and I think you can. There's a lot that you can say with with how certain companies given and that, and and here's the important point of this: given the respective status of their brand, in other words. Where your brand perception is currently gives you an indication of how much leverage you have across the different content. You know, if you're if you're known for selling, you know, and selling heavily, if you're a B2B organization and your customers and your audience sort of knows that every time they see your brand, you're going to get a sales call, well then that's a really good case for if you're going to start something in content marketing to start it as a separate thing. But if your brand is also pretty well trusted, pretty well, you know, you know, have large levels of engagement, et cetera, et cetera, I think it's perfectly okay to have a corporate-oriented blog, quote-unquote, that really leverages the brand that you have because of its notoriety instead of having to start from scratch and say, well, really what we're going to be doing is – this whole thing, you know, so CMO.com is another one, right? There's no question that that's an Adobe property. And, but it's very well, it is a content brand, but it's not necessarily something that's completely separate where you have no idea that it's actually Adobe driving it. Does that make sense? I hate it when you're right. Now, (laughs) now, yes. Is it a continuum? Absolutely. I'm going to play devil's advocate in a second, but I know we want to move on, but here we go. So yes, in, so what's that middle ground, right? You have Coca-Cola Journey, you have Intel IQ, you have uh, American Express. <laughs> well, it gets to it gets to our final topic. I mean, well, sure. American <laughs> Express Open Forum. Now those those things are uh, like the middle of the road content brand. It's a content brand, but it's sure. integrated really well within the main brand. Now right. here's my here's my take for what what I think is going to happen. Let's look at you could make a case for Indium. That people are looking at indium is even though they manufacture industrial soldering equipment, maybe indium is the content brand because yes, that's what people I, and, I, and so no I think disagree. that's what you're making. Absolutely. Mar- I think that's what's going to happen with Marriott. I think ma- when you go to Marriott, that Marriott brand does not just is not just going to stand for, hey, this is where I can book my room. I think it's going to be that this is where I get all my information that I want on travel and tourism. Right. I think well, that that's what that shift. Holy that's smokes! The, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the that's the let's think big thing, right? I mean, I mean, in, you know, the first line of the talk that I my keynote that I give these days is, uh, you know, marketing doesn't change content's purpose; content changes marketing's purpose, and that's the true personification of that, which is content has the ability to change the entire business strategy, and so, you know, looking at Marriott's transformation, if they can pull that off. To the extent that, quite frankly, Red Bull has pulled it off, that's when you've sort of reached the idea of content becoming the primary uh, and, quite frankly, a customer experience being the primary focus of your business. What we're – you know, in other words, this is the – are we in the railroad or are we in the transportation business? What are we really in? Well, we're in the – you know, giving customer experiences of fill in the blank. And by the way, this is Yiska Bank, right? 
Yuska yeah. Bank, Yuska Bank has, has mm-hmm. done this perfectly um, well, where they are now truly a content company that also happens to have retail banking as a And as, when as they position it that way, too. You're right. Exactly. That's a great case. So, so you're right in this scenario where they basically have, have redefined what Yuska Bank is. And they say, we are the only media company with its own bank. They're leading right. with that first now. That's right. That's right. And what did, the, I love the line. This is in the documentary. I love the line where I think it's the head of content strategy there says, when you can't get into the media, you must become the media. When you can't media. control the media, Can you, you can need to control the media, media to become the media. It's, just a, it's just a brilliant, yeah, brilliant La- way of thinking. Last thing I'll say on this, and I've never thought about this, but this is so true. I actually can't believe I never thought about this. Content Marketing Institute is a content brand. Yeah, of it's course a, it is. No, 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 listen to this. It's a, It was a separate entity because Junta42 was the business. And we... we we created Content Marketing Institute. You're just now separate. realizing this. I mean, this has been a, this has been a slide in my presentation for the last year. <laughs> Sometimes I hate you, man. <laughs> <laughs> you made me look stupid, man. Oh, What's up? Man, no, you're I not know. I honestly you're the genius never, behind this. Whole I have thing. know what I. I always thought about just making the pivot. I always just because I wanted to. I thought that was important to make that pivot. But I never realized that really what we were doing was we were just creating a separate content brand. Didn't yeah, I mean, I even it's, it's, I have a Thanks joke for right? showing me I, up. Well, no, I have a joke. It's 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 a great punchline to a joke in one of my slides. I show this slide where I so I ask, what's the value of Craft Food and Family Magazine? What is the value of Red Bull Media House? What is the value of Blend Tech's Let It Blend series? You know, those are media assets. What's the value of Yiska Bank's media property? And the whole point is, and then I used CMI, and I said, what's the value of Content Marketing Institute to Z Squared Media? And then I said, well, I happen to actually know the value of CMI, but I'm not going to tell you what it is right now. But that's the real key is, is that it is an asset in the business. It is a true a- – and that's my big vision for – for not our predictions, we'll get to that in a minute. But my big vision is is that I believe marketing absolutely can be a line on the profit part of the balance sheet, not necessarily an expense line. And I think there's ability for us to create assets that are worth investing in. And that's a whole, but that's a whole other topic. All right, Robert, I think we spent enough time on that one. Let's go on <laughs> to our final topic. What is it? Well, so here's one that's a little uh, got a little passion behind it. Um, the last one is: Can we just please stop? Um, can we focus on the terms and getting them right so we can talk about content marketing and branded content, native advertising, inbound marketing, the terms? We're in buzzword hell. What do you think? This is the the links that we'll have here is one that you wrote just recently, talking about how you and this is this this is the word I think you got in trouble for how you loathe. <laughs> the words branded content. Um, and then uh, we'll also link to a post, which is the 10 content marketing buzzwords you're going to hear way too much, which was released in January of this year. And after going through that post, I could tell you, yeah, there's a few of them there that we've heard way too much. So what do you think? I know you're, I know you're, you're passionate about this topic. I'm passionate about this topic and I'm going to tell you why. So I've written three posts. One is about branded content. One's about native advertising and one's about inbound marketing. And actually right. I'm working on one that's going to talk about all four of them. And, <laughs> and I've got an infographic lined up because I want people to get this right. And here's the reason why right. is because if we continue to talk different language, we're not going to learn. That's the first thing I've learned as a teacher is that if we're all on the same page with what certain words mean, 
the class will go farther than they ever thought they could. And, and they, they will, will be able to get on the same page, work as a team, and actually move the industry forward. I think what's holding the industry back in a lot of cases is because we interchange words like branded content with content marketing, native average. We talked about well, what was it the Wall Street Journal issue because they kept mixing up native advertising and content marketing. And then, of course, we know the long history between content marketing and the differences between inbound marketing. I think this is super important and I'm going to fight this battle. Uh, with a few people with me, hopefully, and I will continue to fight it because I think there are. I'm with you, Joe. Thank, thank you, <laughs> thank you for my shoes and my glasses. Um, I think that it's, I think it's that important. I am going to uh, um, get this post. I think I got a new post coming out in a couple weeks on this, and I'll fight whatever battle needs to be fought because if we don't get this thing right. We're just going to continue to be a laughing stock to the folks that just think the whole thing's a bunch of hooey uh, because we can't even get our terminology correct. So that's my take on it. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, look, it you know, without getting into, we can certainly get into the 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 sort of nuances here. But, I know but, it's inside baseball. I know it this is, is inside. I it know is most really people ins- don't care about this, but I care about it. Well, here's the here's the thing. Here's why it matters, um, and and most of it is because. For here, so here's my and and again, admittedly, this is an inside baseball sort of view on things, which is when I look at what's happening with content marketing as an approach in business, we are and there's there's no doubt. I mean, you know, so from if you look at this as sort of a a widespread sort of an approach in business, right? A business strategy, we're hitting. I, th- I just did. A, I just did a look, and, and and from the attendance at our conferences to the advisories and consulting engagements we've done to the others that have that are in this space, Forrester has now recognized this. Gartner has now recognized this. We are certainly doing this. Altimeter Research was doing this. There, the, every major analyst firm is covering this. Every major business in the Fortune 500 is thinking about this, and but. Having said that, when I look to the center of money in the media world, the sort of Madison Avenue centralized thing where most of the advertising and media budgets are, they don't know about content marketing. No. They don't, they're not talking about content marketing. They're talking about branded content. They're talking about native advertising, and they're talking about things that – and they look at content marketing as this niche thing that's happening in the digital world. And maybe right now they're right. And so, but this is why it matters because one of the debates that often comes up is, well, branded content is basically content marketing. It's not true. It's not, it, branded content is different. It is, it, we, we just talked for a great length about content brands versus branded content. Now you can argue that in that spectrum that there's some overlap there, right? So one of the things that's brought up is sort of the, whether it was, you know, I can't remember if it was BMW or Audi or Aston Martin that did, I think it was BMW actually, that did the big James Bond thing where they did the, and this was years ago, right? That's branded content. That's not content marketing. Getting your product into a storytelling or some compelling entertainment way is not content marketing. That's branded content, pure and simple. And and so looking at the con line, for example, and we see the awards that were given out, yeah, most of them were quite accurately branded content. Yep. You know, if we look at the the 
like a girl campaign, branded content. Great, wonderful, awesome campaign, very valuable. I'm sure it was highly successful. The like a girl campaign is branded content. It is great advertising telling a compelling story. Or if we look at the um, the the um, the beauty campaign that uh, that I, I'm Dove? forgetting their Dove yeah. is putting out branded content. It is brand, it is wonderfully created branded content. No doubt about it. When we're talking about content marketing, we're talking about creating value separate and discrete from your product. You know, when HubSpot launches a thing called inbound marketing, for a very long time, inbound marketing was a content brand all in of itself, and they turned it into their own pivot of the brand, just like you talked about earlier with CMI and content marketing. The, that is the difference. And, you know, I'm not sure why people have a difficulty in understanding that one is built to build value for the audience and the other is built to build value for the business and the audience is ultimately the asset that builds value for the business in one versus the other. I'm not sure why that's so hard to grok, but it, it, it somehow reason is. And it is important to understand the difference because when we have that aha moment, when we talk to a business and they say, I'm going to go acquire a publishing company, that is the moment that they understand that it's not a, necessarily about a different kind of demand generation marketing campaign. It's a different kind of approach. It's content marketing. That's anyway, I don't mean to get off on a rant. No, on it, but I, you're, it's, you're right. It's, I mean, I, at, at the, the show that I was at in New York last week, the, uh, the head of content for The Onion Talked to his topic was something like five ways to create amazing con- uh, amazing content with branded content, and you know what he was talking about branded content. He was talking about integrating the product in, and he was talking about very short short campaigns, uh, and it was all advertising based. Right. I totally had no problem with it. Somebody asked me, "Do you have a problem with him using branded content?" I said, "No, that's what he's doing talking about." There's nothing wrong with branded content. It just is a different thing than content marketing, just as native right. advertising. It's not any more effective or ineffective. We're not, it's not a denigration to say it's different. It's the, the understanding comes in the sort of opportunity we have for the different kinds of approaches. That's the difference. So, again, we agree. <laughs> People are going to hate this show. Shocked. Because Shocked we're in agreement agree. over everything. Well, speaking of agreement, yeah. like violent agreement, let's agree on that we have an amazing sponsor. We are going that, to that... agree that we have an amazing sponsor. Thanks to our good friends at Brandpoint Hub for sponsoring a really compelling piece of content really called wonderful. It is, it is. Number Crunch, how a content marketing platform saves time and money. And what they really do is they go through a research analysis of if you're going to create content not using a content marketing platform versus using a platform, and they go through step-by-step, how much time does it really save you? You may not even have an idea if it's going to save you time and which parts it's going to save you time on. That's why I love it. Is it editorial? Is it the back and forth? Is it the approvals? If you're probably one of the people out there that is using just a spreadsheet and email as approval, you will get get an eye-opening experience by reading this uh, blog post. So go and check this out. You can go to bit.ly slash brandpointhub bit.ly slash brandpointhub. It will take you to a blog post. It is no white paper. There's no download. You don't have to give your name. You're going to a blog post to check this out. And I guarantee it would be worth your time if you want to know the difference in just doing the process you're doing or using a content marketing platform. So special thanks to our good friends at Brandpoint Hub for Such making a- that great and excellent compelling piece of content available. 
on it's digital just, marketing and a special awesome. one on our hundredth. There will never be a hundredth episode again. And Brandpoint right. Hub is the well, sponsor. Of course, there won't be a 99th or 97th or before as well. But yes, your your point is well taken. <laughs> Thank you for totally messing that up for me. <laughs> You just removed there will all never the specialness. Be another you removed all episode. the special They have qualities. the honor of being the sponsor of the 100th episode of PNR's The Soul Marketing. All right. That is that is fantastic. What's thank next? you, thank you so much to them for this. This is it's a wonderful. Thank you. It's a wonderful. Uh, it's a wonderful piece. And uh, all right, so now, as we promised, there is no rants and raves section. If you haven't gotten enough of our rants and raves in this episode, we don't know what's up. But what we are going to do is, and here's an interesting thing, Joe. Yes. You don't know this, but one of the things that I did in preparation for the show is I actually went to uh, Wolfram Alpra. If you haven't been to that site, it's just really awesome if you're a math geek. And I actually put in what is exactly 100 weeks from today. 100 weeks from today, the day that we're recording this. And as it turns out, it's Friday, September 8th, 2017. And so that will be the week of Content Marketing World 2017, assumably. Um, it probably won't be on Friday. We'll probably either be finishing up that week or we'll or be going the next, the next week, day, depending yeah, on the yeah, way schedules absolutely. fall. But we'll be right in the throes of Content Marketing that is World. Amazing. And so, I know, amazing, right? How did that happen? And so, here's an interesting thing. We're, the question I have for both of us is our predictions. So, show number 200 will come as Content Marketing World. 2017 is either just starting or just wrapping up. So what will be the main themes? What are we going to be talking about on show 200 around content marketing? Uh, you go first. Man, they're all, everybody's going to be talking about how Joe Polizzi has a new set of, a new head of hair <laughs> that I'm going to be sporting with my plugs. I'm sorry. Did I say that? I was thinking that. I wasn't supposed to say that out loud. Um, that... <laughs> Here's, orange plugs? Are you going to go with the orange plugs? I'm going to orange. Oh, you darn right. If I could have orange <laughs> hair and it looked natural and didn't look like a Brillo pad, I'd be into it. I absolutely would. <laughs> It'd be Ronald McDonald. <laughs> but Ronald doesn't look real. It does not look like real hair. Like, I oh want, I don't know. I want like red hot chili peppers, Brillo thing going. I want that. So, okay. I've been thinking about this, the answer to this question. For at least 20 minutes. <laughs> and this is what I've come up with. And this, I really do believe this is what we're going to be talking about through that whole stretch of time. Is that now is a huge opportunity to build that content brand, that platform right now. But I, I don't think that time, I don't think that in the next year to two, it's going to be that easy. And I'm going to tell you why. It's because, and we talked about this last episode and the one before, I think because you've got Facebook, LinkedIn, you've got these power YouTube, these power platforms, and you've got uh, you know Google and Apple and Microsoft and Facebook all fighting over to becoming the go-to resources. Like you talk about, you know, the big three from a network standpoint. I think we're starting to see the networks built out on the web. I think it's going to be harder and harder for people that are creating. Uh, content platforms, content brands to get the type of attention outside of those folds. I don't like that. By the way, I don't. I'm, so this prediction might be totally wrong. I actually hope it is because I don't want that to happen. Because if this happens, I think the way that we use the internet will completely change. And and so that's what I think will happen. 
Now is a really great time for brands to start getting involved in this because the Facebooks, the Googles of the world aren't quite there yet, but you can see that happening. And you can see when the Washington Post makes a decision and they're going to totally forsake their own content brand and they're going to throw every piece of content onto Facebook. That tells me something. It tells me that you've got bigger players putting more and more money into those platforms, and that's going to be our go-to resource to get this type of information. Now, I don't think it's all lost. I think that you'll see more and more companies create apps. I think uh, self-contained apps that you can get them out of the app store, whatever that it's going to be in two years. Uh, but I don't know. I'm kind of I'm I'm a little bit concerned by this prediction. I don't know if you agree with it. But I really see this as a possibility where people are going to have to make a choice. And sometime that choice is, oh, we're going to be relegated to serving our content on one of these networks instead of be, be, uh, be creating a platform that we actually have more control over. I think you're I think there's a there's a strong indication that you could be right, um, <laughs> certainly with that. Um, I've heard that before. You should have just said you're wrong and just left out all the other words. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think. Well, it feeds into what I'm what I'm thinking. Okay, why don't you just give me your? You could just say, okay, just go on. Say you're wrong, Joe. Go on. No, 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 no. I don't think I don't think you are wrong. I mean, that was look, look. Like you, I'm hoping you're wrong. I mean, I think you know. Yeah, I, I think the sort of islands, you know, massive islands where we go to get information. I think here's the counterweight to that, and this, this okay. feeds into my prediction. The counterweight to that is what's happening with the Internet of Things. Um, and this gets we – we even covered this story. Remember when we talked about how um, Eric Schmidt, I think it was, from Google, had basically said the disappearing Internet – where he said at some point in the future, and he I don't think he actually put out a, a time frame, but I would guess it's within the next two to three years, the internet is going to be sort of something that just is a fabric that we exist with. In other words, there won't be going to the internet. Everything you pick up will be connected in some way. Your laptop just automatically connects to Wi-Fi that's you know, everywhere, you just assume that internet connection and sort of the digital natives, as they start to become more prevalent in, in sort of the, the demographics as well as sort of societal culture, I think the internet, as Eric Schmidt says, just sort of disappears into the fabric of life. And the internet of things is a big piece of that, right? Connected things that are there. And I think that openness will be the counterweight to what you're talking about because I think it provides the opportunity for disruptive new things to come along that replace these giant islands called Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and YouTube and sort of the places where people aggregate right now and where we feel like we have to have our content. Now, to your point, that puts a tremendous pressure and a tremendous responsibility on brands to get good at developing owned media content, owned media properties that actually can aggregate an audience in any meaningful way. And that competition is going to be tough. And so my prediction is that so, and I've said this to a couple of other people who've asked me for 26. I can't believe it's already time to make 2016 predictions, but a couple of people have already asked me for them. And, and one of them that I've said is, I think 2016 is the time when marketing departments finally evolve. Um, and what I mean by that is that I think next year, will the, the big thing will be, whether you call it customer experience management or experiences, the idea of sales, marketing, and technology evolving into some more m- – 
basically a different kind of approach to the departmental structure of marketing in large enterprises. I'm already starting to see it happen where the reorgs are happening, the adaptiveness of teams are happening, the agency thing. I think there's many things that are going to start to sort itself out in 2016. And I think where that leads us to 2017 is, quite frankly, a the pain points around that will be around how do we even do uh, advertise classic marketing and what we want to do with such a new form team that really doesn't understand sort of the classic approaches of marketing. And the pain points will be around that as well as the data and complexity of consumer data and privacy that are certainly going to come in the next year or two and how that sort of all applies to the Internet of Things and an openness. In other words, I think it gets a lot more open, a lot more complex, and a lot more um, complicated for teams and marketing. And you know, and in other words, the fragmentation continues. And what we'll be talking about in two years is, quite frankly, how do we unify all of this complexity into something that's meaningful for the business? That's deep. <laughs> well, it's no, also but, safe because I didn't really say a lot of well, specific. I still think, by the way, Google buys Twitter. I don't know if that's going to happen this year. I think Google's going to buy Twitter. I think Salesforce makes a couple of huge acquisitions in this space. I think we'll be talking about the marketing cloud in, in very, very different ways in 2017. I think we'll be talking about new technology players like WhatsApp and and those as being major platforms. Um, I think Periscope and Meerkat all go away um, and, and and are replaced with some of these bigger players that you're talking about. So I think you know it becomes a Google Facebook battle, not any sort of startup Meerkat Periscope thing. I think it, that live video on the internet goes to one of the big players, and I don't know which one it is yet, but it'll be Google, Facebook, or somebody like that. Tesla. How about that? Could be Tesla. <laughs> Tesla. Yeah, gee, you know what? That's the well, thing. Also, that, that, are you still sticking by your prediction that Disney's going to be bought by Apple? Yes, I am sticking. Right. That's going. Well, that's going to happen next year. Okay. All right. There we. Well, go. here's the thing. Apple is just wising up. That, that Apple feels left out. They got a whole heap <laughs> Apple of cash. Doesn't feel left out. Apple feels Apple left, feel left out. out of anything, my friend. They, no. <laughs> there. If Steve Jobs was around, he would be. He would be furious at what's going on. That that Facebook and Google are eating their lunch from the content side. I don't think and, he would. I don't think he would care. I think he would care much more about the fact that they're getting into these wearables and 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 what that means for you know and what that means for future devices. I think. I I think they're I, I feel that they're losing their way a little bit as to what Apple stands for. Yeah, and I, I agree. Apple, I don't disagree I think with Apple that. right now. Yeah, I think Apple since um, Tim Cook took over. I feel more that Apple is a hardware company more than ever before. Um, they would just totally disagree with that. Oh, they would totally disagree with you on that. Yeah, I know. Of course, I, mean, I don't belong. I don't have any affiliation with Apple, so I can say this. <laughs> so I and and I think that's the issue. And I, they're going to play. They're going to try to play catch up. And how do you play catch up better than anything else? That if you buy the greatest, most wonderful brands on the planet, and Disney owns most of them, yeah. Marvel and Star Wars included, and of course. Uh, What's the ice? What's the ice princess movie? What's Frozen, the, which Frozen. I just watched. Which I just watched. Let it go. Oh my god! Let Man, that's it not go. the, that's not my favorite song. I love the I, I love the uh, the um, love is an open door. 
I love that song. So great. I love that movie. We've just lost 72 listeners. All right, so let's move on. All right. Let's move on to our This Old Marketing, which, of course, and we have a special one for our 100th episode. And you've talked about this before. We have a wonderful, wonderful This Old Marketing example. We couldn't resist being the 100th episode to make the This Old Marketing example who? I know what you're going to say. Content Marketing Institute. Is what I you're am going to say Content Marketing it seems, Institute. It, it seems it seems self serving. It does. Actually. I don't care. It's a hundred. It's a hundred episode. <laughs> you're gonna, it's I don't care. And you're going to do what? It's our you show, want. and we'll do what the hell we want. And so it's. Uh, I think CMI is an amazing example of this old marketing, and what better way to celebrate CMI than on the hundredth episode to talk about what a great Tom this is. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I know we're, we're getting into our hour here, so I want to be considerate of people's time, but uh, do you want me to start from the very beginning? I was the young boy. Uh, no, I, I don't want you to Ohio. start with as a young boy and I was a Browns fan and all that. No, I want all you right, to here's, start. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. So on, uh, give the abbreviated story. April 26, 2007 was my first blog post. It was called why content marketing. It's where we put the flag in the ground and say that content marketing is a thing. We need to start calling it something differently. Out of uh, a couple uh, pivots that trying to find a business model over that time, we actually you know, started working with you, started working with Michelle Lynn, started working with Peter Loibel, Joe Kalinowski, all kinds of wonderful people. We blogged for three years and morphed into what is now Content Marketing Institute and built a significant audience over that time, targeting enterprise marketers so they could understand. And our mission was around advancing the practice of content marketing. Once we built that core platform, then we started to diversify. So obviously this just follows the Content Inc. model that I talk about in the book, where we diversified into and made the decision. I remember making this decision in the end of 2009. I said, Content Marketing Institute is going to be the leading online destination for content marketing for enterprise marketers. We're going to have the leading event. It's going to be called Content Marketing World. We're going to have the leading uh, print and digital magazine. It's going to be called uh, Chief Content Officer. And we started that whole, you know, the magazine was launched in January of 2011, the first event. Now in its fifth year, Content Marketing World was launched in September of 2011. And we've continued to build that subscriber base, you know, starting at just a just a couple of members of the first time we actually launched anything. We had like 2,500 or 3,000 subscribers. Now we've got over 150,000 subscribers. It really is unbelievable. And, uh, and the, the significant things that we did over that time outside of the fact that we've got the greatest team on the planet is I think the research was critical. And now in our sixth year of that research, it is the most cited thing we do. We get more link backs to contentmarketinginstitute.com from our research than anything else that we do. I think the other key thing is that we focused on the core platform, the blog, and the consistent daily content as the hub of everything that we did. And then once we built that solid audience, then we diversified. We didn't do what a lot of companies do where they just create content on all kinds of different platforms at one time. We were very methodical about it. And I think it's worked really well. Like we, we knew you and I knew it was time to create this podcast. It felt right. It felt right for us. It felt right for the CMI model. And uh, and lo and behold, you know, we've we've become you know according to Inc. Magazine last year, we are the fastest growing business media company in North America, which is pretty amazing from the fact that in the first five years of business, we never spent more than thirty five thousand in paid media. Love it. 
That's I mean that is that's the story to me, right? I mean, here's how you build a multi-million dollar company out of pure creation of value for a customer base and audience and let the customer base understand, you know, you start with what the great value, the benefit is for the customer first. And they will give you money for that value. <laughs> they will. And they will t- – actually, they will tell you what they will buy. Exactly. I think that's the most important thing is a lot exactly. of people – and that's the essence of the content model is build the audience first, then monetize it. And you don't realize that once you build a loyal audience that knows, likes, and trusts you, they will absolutely want to throw money at you. And then that's when you open up your ears and say, oh, here's the things that they really want, that they really will solve their problems, and they will pay you money to do. Yep. But it's been a great ride. It's been an amazing ride. It's been an amazing ride. Well, here's to 100 more, buddy. 100. It's been it, – it really does blow my mind that we were able to do uh, 100 episodes and not miss a week. Yeah, we and, did. I mean uh, – That's a that's testament ama- to you, I mean, you know, and the, your yeah. schedule and yeah. getting a microphone that works and making sure <laughs> – I mean how many – and how many times has Skype cut, cut, you know, cut out on us that we've exactly. had to edit this thing? People just don't see all the pains that we've You don't see through. the blood and turmoil oh, that we go through just, putting together the one, show notes on a Sunday night at 11 oh, p.m. And, and waiting – the one night where I lost my shoes and my glasses <laughs> was the worst. It was the worst night ever. Anyway. And Swiffer pads. And sw- of course. Swiffer pads. Swiffer pads. And by the way, I have to hats off to you because your introductions are epic. Oh, please. I mean, they are as some of the best writing that you will ever hear. And uh, I appreciate it. I think a lot of people appreciate the amount of time and effort you put into those. So oh, well, I, I, you, it's, a, it's a labor of love, my friend. It is a labor of love. All right, before we get giant heads, let's get the hell out of here. Let's do that. I'm, I'm, I think that you know you have safe tra- – we're doing this early because you have travels this week. I do. I, I'm in Europe We've got Content next Marketing week. Show this week coming yeah. up. Uh, by the way, still time to sign up, contentmarketingshow.com. And, uh, and, and you know, be safe this week, and uh, we'll, we'll try for 101 next week. We will indeed. All right, folks, that is it. Thank you for hanging around. Thank you for being a subscriber. Thank you for being around for 100 episodes. We truly appreciate it. Here's to 100 more for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose. We're signing off. And, you know, tweet us up. We got a bunch of stories this week. We obviously didn't cover them for the special episodes. We'll look at those next week. Hashtag this old marketing if you see something that you want to throw out there. And, you know, if you've got a question or an email, send us an email, thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode, the very special Will It Blend episode of number 100, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links are on the show notes that'll be available in the show itself when we publish it later on Monday. And then, of course, on thisoldmarketing.com and the website uh, on Saturday. Remember, folks, it is your story to tell a hundred times over. It is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.
This show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.